Good morning, church. Would you join me this morning in Matthew chapter 5 for our scripture reading? We're reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 through verse 37. Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 through 37. The Lord Jesus himself speaking. And he says, verse 34, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, or nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh from evil. Thank the Lord for his word. Young man, as you come this morning, if you have your Bibles, come with me to the book of James again this morning, James chapter 5. And if you have a piece of paper, you can put it into Matthew 23. James chapter 5 will be our main text. And in Matthew chapter 23, we will visit that when we get to the end of the sermon. The epistle that was written by the brother of the Lord Jesus. We've spent several weeks in this, a couple of months now, and uh, we near the end of the book now. We have today and, Lord willing, next Sunday will be our last time together in the book of James. I, when I initially outlined the epistle, I did not expect to spend this week on this verse. I actually thought that verse 12 would have fit neatly in with verses 7 to 11, and yet last week when I was preparing for the passage for verses 7 to 11, I realized that verse 12 was a standalone uh, message all by itself. And, and I'll show you why as I look at it. You would be there, James chapter 5 and verse 12. There's a phrase at the beginning of verse 12 that sets it apart. It says in verse 12, but above all things. In other words, this of all the things that he's had to say, this is the most important. Don't skip over it. And so today, intentionally, we'll put the brakes on and we'll look at one verse. We'll spend our time together in this one verse, verse 12, because James says it's the most important one out of everything that he has to say. I think that we as fallen sinful people have a tendency to sin most frequently and most quickly with our mouths. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's going on in our hearts will be reflected in our speech, and if I'm going to be honest with, us this, with ourselves this morning, I think that so often the things that are in our hearts show up in our mouths, and sometimes we might even get shocked by what we say. And yet, because of our evil hearts, we will tend to double down on what we said, and we will hold on to it, almost as if I said it, so now I mean it. I don't have this in my notes, but could I encourage us this morning, as I look across our congregation and I think of person after person and family after family that I do counseling with, can I bring us to one certain thought that comes out of the book of Ephesians? Esteem 
other better than yourself. Do you know what you're doing when you sin with your mouth? You're esteeming yourself better than them. But if you will, by the power of the gospel, change the way that you think, change the way that you believe, suddenly the way that you speak will change entirely. And so let me show you, this is not a brand new concept. He didn't wait until chapter 5 to drop this bomb on us and tell us, oh, this is the most important thing. He just circled back around to it again when he got to chapter 5. In fact, he's talked about our speech in every single chapter. Look back at chapter 1 and verse 26. I'll walk through them quickly. Chapter 1 and verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, you look the part, you dress the part, you come to church on the right times, if you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Did you hear the words? You come to church on Sunday, but you talk bad to your wife and your kids the rest of the week. You're faking it. True believer doesn't act that way. Chapter 2 and verse 12. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Speak and act. Your actions should match your speech. Your speech should match your actions. He said it in chapter 2. Then chapter 3, he gives us a long section. In chapter 3, verse 2 down to verse 11, or verse 12, uh, he, he talks about this fact that you need to be able to control your tongue. If you're a true believer, you should control your tongue. And if you can control your tongue, you'll control the rest of your body. He says it in chapter 3 and verse 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offends not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. And he gives us examples of a ship and of a horse, and you can steer the entire ship by just the small rudder, or you can steer the, turn the, the, the path of the horse by just controlling the way his mouth moves. And we too, in our Christian life, if you're going to live right and live godly, we've got to get control of this tongue. Chapter 4 and verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. So watch how you speak about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 5 and verse 9, and we saw this passage last week. Grudge not. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. You had that picture last week, not of dad standing in the doorway, but the judge, the judge of the universe who does all things right, standing at the doors, about to open up those doors and come for condemnation as you, with your mouth, condemn your brother. Oh, be careful. You see, our mouths and our words are so very important. How we speak and how we act will reveal what's going on in our hearts. And if I were to summarize verse 12... I would say it this way. Your honest speaking is a reflection of God's character. Your honest speaking is a reflection of God's character. Let me read verse 12 with you. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. So I'll say it again. Your honest speaking is a reflection of the character of God. And this only happens because of the transformation that comes from the gospel. 
your honest speaking. He said, don't swear by heaven or earth, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you stand in condemnation. So your honest speaking is a reflection of the character of God. He is a God who says what he means and doesn't change it. He speaks honestly. And you and I, as believers, having been transformed by the gospel, should now live out lives that are a reflection of the character of God. So my yes will be yes, not because I'm a good person, but because my character has been changed by the gospel. You might think, what do you mean by that, Pastor? What do you mean you have to be transformed by the gospel? Can't a good person be an honest person? Well, think with me. Satan is a liar. That's at his core nature. He's a liar. In fact, Jesus called it out in Luke chapter, uh, sorry, John chapter 8 and verse 44. He said this, Jesus speaking, You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He said, how did Satan become a murderer? Oh, he introduced sin through lying, and death came by sin. So Satan is a murderer. He ended up bringing death upon mankind. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And you might remember how that happened in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, as he came to Eve and said, The day that you eat thereof, you will not die. Yea, hath God said, Satan questions, and Satan brings his lies. And then Jesus in John 8 brings us to the point that we, as fallen sinners following after Satan, are also liars. We need the transformation that comes by the gospel. Do you realize that what the gospel has done for you, friend? I hope you grasp what the gospel has done for you. The gospel is so much more than just Jesus went to the cross and was buried and rose again from the dead. It's so much more than that. God the Father sent the Lord Jesus to the cross because you and I were helpless and hopeless apart from the gospel. We needed the gospel. We needed Christ to go to the cross and take my sin upon Himself. For I could not. I stood under the wrath of God for my sin. I was born with it. I did it. And His wrath abides upon me and abides upon you. And you cannot absorb the wrath of God. But God sent Jesus, the only one who could take the wrath of God. God put on robes of flesh and became a man so that He could taste death for you and I. Jesus went to the cross and God placed His wrath upon the Lord Jesus in the space of three hours on the cross. An infinite Son took the infinite wrath of the infinite Father upon Himself and He paid for our sin. He took our sin upon Himself so that you and I might be made righteous in Him. So when I say He took our sin, it is for our eternity, but it's also for our life now too. So don't think, oh, the Gospel gives me the access to go to heaven to be with God. He gave us eternal life. Eternal life does not have to begin when you die. You can be freed from sin now. That happens by the Gospel. You say, but does that mean that I'll never sin again? Oh, no. You'll continue to sin for the rest of your life. 
but you should be sinning a whole lot less and hating it a whole lot more for the rest of your life. And the day will come, whether you die or He comes in the rapture, when you are glorified, you will no longer sin. You receive that glorified body. But yet, while you and I are still in this body, you and I will still struggle with sin, but you can have victory over it as you place your trust in His gospel. What do I mean by that? He took your sin. So live in Him. His grace, His gospel frees you from sin. And as you move, Romans 1.17, as you move from faith to faith, the righteousness of God will be revealed in your life. This is a beautiful promise that comes from trusting the gospel. And friend, you probably need to preach that gospel to yourself day after day after day. We come into a passage like this, James 5 and verse 12, and we're reminded that this aspect of our life, our speech, sometimes we will sin with our speech and then we'll heap on some extra speech to try to cover up our sin. He goes, wait, a true believer doesn't do that. A true believer speaks honestly. He will have yes is yes and no is no. And he won't try to add on some extra promises. And that's what he says to us. Swear not by heaven or earth. And so that brings us to the first of three. I can see three very simple uh, points or phrases in this verse. So the first one is don't swear by heaven or earth. You see the wording in verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. So don't swear by heaven or earth or any other oath. Now when he says the word swear, and you read that today, I'll admit that the word swear in our current use of the word swear is not the same as what he used it there. I'll explain what I mean by that. If you go to the dictionary today, Cambridge Dictionary uh, would, would define swear, one of the major definitions, and this is the way that we use it most often, is like this, to use words that are rude or offensive, I might say vulgar, as a way of emphasizing what you mean or as a way of insulting someone or something. And we teach our children, you don't use swear words. Uh, This is an important thing. And by the way, I'll just make mention of it while we're here. A a person who lives using swear words, I would say, is probably lacking an intelligent vocabulary. If that's the only word that you can come up with, uh, I think it's time for you to go back to school and learn some new words. Um, it, It shows a heart that is leaning towards vulgarity. And I'll be honest with you, as much as I see in social media, as quickly as people will run to vulgar language, I might just remind you that that's not the way that a Christian acts. And so be careful with that. Perhaps you resort that way just to add in some shock factor. Um, But friend, there are much better ways for us to speak. Now, that is not the use of the word swear that James is speaking of. It's a different use of the word. And if we were to go to an older dictionary, in fact, one of the good dictionaries, if you want to, you can find this online. Webster's Dictionary from 1828 defines some of those older English words. I say the, the date 1828, 100 years before Leumituya. That's a long time ago. Uh, But if you want to know what were people thinking when they were speaking the English language in the 1600s, 
Well, we get an 1800 dictionary that kind of gets a lot closer than where we are today. And so the definition from uh, Webster in 1828, by the way, the reason I like that is uh, if you go to the definition in Webster's Dictionary of 1828, he actually will use some of the Bible verses to show the use of that word. So not only do you get a dictionary usage, but you get an example from the Bible, and, and, and Webster does that quite often. And here, here's Webster's de- definition for the word swear, and, and it also carries this meaning into today, and I, we just don't use it as often. So here's that definition. To affirm or utter a solemn declaration with an appeal to God for the truth of what is affirmed. Another way that we might say it would be a vow or an oath or a promise swear. So that meaning, and you can see it in verse 12 as he even brings that out at the end of that first portion, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath. And so that's what he's meaning when he says swear not. So when we talk about swear not in this passage, he's not saying stop using vulgarity. He's saying when you make a promise, don't promise on the earth or on the heaven or on any other thing. And so I think it'd be worth us having a look at this passage with that mindset. And maybe you've done this. Maybe you've made a promise and you've added on extra bits and pieces to try to show how honest you really meant this promise. Uh, We used to do this with my kids. I would say, I promise that I love you. I love you all the way to the moon. I don't know if you ever did something like that. Or maybe you've heard the phrase, I swear it on my mother's grave. Uh, something like that. Uh, these are different ways. And talk vision, you mean talk honestia. We add in some extra. Mino uh, uh, we're, we're we're trying to add on some extra. Why are we doing that? Because maybe there's a bit of an untruth in what we just said, and so we try to cover that up. And so James is speaking against that. While I'm talking about these promises, I'll just make a couple of things, make a couple of statements that might be of help for us. First, quick promises often lead to regret. Quick promises often lead to regret, or we could say they end in regret. I think of some examples from Scripture. One of them would have been Jephthah from the book of Judges. This was Judges chapter 11. Perhaps you remember his story. If you don't remember his story quickly, it was Jephthah went off to battle. One of the judges of Israel went off to battle and thought there's a very good chance that he might not win the battle. He made a promise before God, hastily. He made a vow before God, and his vow before God was, God, if you will give me the victory in this battle, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. I will sacrifice that to you. I think that that's a very foolish vow. First off, I wonder, did the man live in a barn and expect that a sheep would walk out of his house first? I think that's a, just a silly promise as he says, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of the house. And if you don't know the story, Judges chapter 11 tells us that he won the battle. God gave him the victory. And when he got home, his only daughter was the one who walked out of the house. I won't go into the depth and the reasons why it was foolish for him to follow through on that vow because the book of Leviticus does say that there are ways for you to be released from a vow like that. But I just think to myself, Jephthah, in his haste, made a vow, and it led to regret. Another example would be Peter. 
Do you remember Peter on the night before the crucifixion? They're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers came. And Peter pulled out the sword, and he cut off Malchus's ear. You remember that in that moment. Uh, Peter did what you do in a fight, and Jesus did what you don't do in a fight. And Jesus reached down and grabbed that broken cut piece of an ear and placed it back on Malchus's head, said to Peter, put your sword away. This is the, not the way that things are done. You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Peter put the sword away. Jesus gave himself over, and they led him away to the trial that was a mockery. Peter followed. You might remember that. Peter followed at a distance so that he could see what was going to happen so far away so that they wouldn't assume that he was a part of it. He didn't want to be drawn into the persecution, but at the same time, he did want to know what was going to happen. And there he was at a distance. Scripture says that he was warming his hands. And you remember there was a young lady. This happened three times. And on the third time, a young lady said to him, I'm pretty sure, Peter, I think you're one of those disciples. Even your speech gives you away. Peter's response in that, listen to the words, Matthew 26, 74. Then began Peter to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And you remember the words as Peter went off and wept. He swore, I promise, I don't know that guy. And if I have to add some vulgar, vulgar words into this, I'll curse as well. But I promise, honest, yeah, me no one blood blown in. You see, hastily made promises can often lead to regret. But that also brings me to the, another thought, is that there are times to make a promise. So when you read James chapter 5 and verse 12, it's easy to see the beginning of it that says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not. And for you to stop and just say, well, the Scripture says that we shouldn't make a promise or make an oath or make a vow. But that's not what he says here. He says, don't promise by heaven or earth or any other oath. And so there's more to the meaning here. What we see in the Scriptures and all throughout the Scriptures is that there is uh, proper times in our life or there are proper times in our life to make a promise or make an oath or to swear there are proper times. Some of the examples that I think of, one a quick one was just a few weeks ago, we talked about Aquila and Priscilla, and the passage was regarding Paul leaving from Sincrea. Here's Acts chapter 18 and verse 18. I don't think that Paul was sinning in this. This is Paul saying, after, uh, the scripture says, Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila having shorn his head in Sincrea, for he had a vow. We see a tangible evidence that Paul had made a promise. He cut his hair off. He was kela. He took his hair off as an evidence that he's made a promise. And this promise means a lot to him. He's got to get to Jerusalem and he's in a rush to get there. And that's the rest of Acts chapter 18 tells that. And so we see an example of a man that made a promise. I'll give another one. Jacob, uh, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, who was about to die. He's in Egypt. And you might remember that story back in Genesis 47. And Jacob is about to die, and Jacob calls for his son Joseph to come and visit him. Now, I want you to think about what that means. Joseph, yes, is Jacob's son. 
coat of many colors. We know that. But remember when Jacob, dad, calls for Joseph's son to come and visit, this is not just sing out for my son. Because at that moment, Joseph is second in command of the known world. We're talking about man inoliklik mangituya. This guy, he is powerful. And Jacob says, send Joseph or bring Joseph to come and see me. And then we see the gravity with which he's coming because Jacob is about to die. And in Jacob's laying in his bed, he calls for Joseph to come. Joseph leaves probably a palace to come visit his dad in a house. And he's going to meet with dad there. And I want you to listen to the words here. This is Genesis 47, 29. The time drew near that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray, in Egypt. Don't bury me in Egypt. This is not my place. And he continues on in verse 30. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he, Joseph, said, I will do as thou hast said. Dad just made it clear. When I die, in a few minutes or in a few days, when I die, don't bury me here in Egypt. This isn't my place. Take me back to Canaan land. Bury me with my fathers there. That's where our people are supposed to be. Bury me there. And Joseph said, yeah, Dad, I'll do it. I'll bury you there. But in the back of Joseph's mind, I can't help but think through all the things that have happened to Joseph in his life. And I'm going to show this to you in just a minute, why this was such a big deal to Jacob. But in Joseph's life, just think through Joseph and everything that he's been through. He had 17 years in Israel, in the Canaan land, promised land. He had 17 years there. And all those 17 years, just think about what he went through. His brothers made it clear to him that he was not welcome there. He has literally no ties to Israel. He has no ties there. His family has never showed him any kindness there. In fact, they sold him into slavery. He's in Egypt. He's now married to an Egyptian. He has Egyptian sons. He has everything that he's ever needed and perhaps will ever want. And he's happy to live here in Egypt. And dad says, when I die, bury me back in Israel. You know what probably is going through Joseph's mind when he's thinking of dad dying? You know what they do to big men in Egypt? Build them a pyramid. Put that body inside, turn dad into a mummy and bury him in a pyramid. That's probably what's going on in Joseph's mind. And Jacob says, when I die, don't bury me here. Send my body back to Israel. I want to be buried there. And Joseph says to him, sure, dad, you can see it. I'll do as thou hast said. Now watch as Jacob double down, doubles down on this. Verse 31, And he, Jacob, said, Swear unto me. Do you see this just got real serious for Jacob? On his deathbed, Son, put your hand under my thigh and swear to me. And he swore unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. 
and Jacob passed away. And I have a feeling that this cemented a lot in Joseph's mind because not only does he bury dad in Israel, Joseph himself says, me too, I'm not going to be buried here. You realize Joseph ends up asking, bury me too, bury me in place of Israel. I think it has everything to do with the fact that his dad made him swear. You see, when we add in an oath, a lot of depth comes with it. And you can see this promise that was made. This is long after Joseph died. Moses leads the people out of, Israel, out of Egypt back to the Israel and the Canaan land some 400 years later. And here's the words of Exodus chapter 13 and verse 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he, Joseph, had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Don't leave me in a pyramid either, boys. You see, taking an oath is not a bad thing. So when we read the words of James chapter 5 that says, swear not, he's not saying don't make an oath. He's saying don't make an oath by heaping on things from the earth. There's something much more important. In fact, as we talk about promises that have been made in the Scriptures, God Himself swore. That might surprise you. All throughout the Old Testament, there's passages that say, and God swore But I think the greatest grouping of them is found in the book of Hebrews. And as you walk through the book of Hebrews, you see it again and again and again. I'll give you a couple of them. Here's Hebrews chapter 3 in verse number 10. In a negative light, the people of Israel had turned their back against God. They're out in the wilderness wandering for those 40 years eating manna. That was angels' food. And they keep saying things like, oh, how I wish that I could go back to Egypt where we got good food back in Egypt. That's absolute nonsense. And God gets fed up with them. Here's the words that he says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 10. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. You know what God did? He swore. He made a promise, an oath. Again, that's not a vulgarity. It's not profanity. This is a promise. It's not going to happen. These people that speak ill about me, I won't give them the promised land. And he made a promise, and it came true. You see, God always keeps his promises. That was a negative promise. And then later in Hebrews chapter 6, he talks about how he called Abraham out, and he gave a positive promise there. Here's Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. Can I just stop there and let that sink in for just a moment? God said, I'm going to make a promise to you, Abraham. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a people. I'm going to fulfill that promise. And if I'm going to fulfill that promise, I'm going to swear on the greatest thing that I can find. And by the way, this is an allusion to where we're headed in our passage. Don't swear on the earth and swear on the heaven. Don't swear, don't take any other kind of oath. No, there's something most important whereby if you're going to swear, you better swear by that one. And what did God swear by? He swore by himself because you can find no greater than God. 
So God swore by himself, and what did he swear by himself? Saying, verse 14, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, Abraham obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So God confirmed His oath in two ways. One, He cannot lie. And two, He does not die. So in other words, on Himself, He will not change His mind of His promise. And two, on Himself, He will not die in some situation change and suddenly he can't fulfill his own promise you see that is the immutability of God the unchangeableness of God so why did God make an oath if he always keeps his promise why did God make an oath and I think the answer is simply found in the fact that he's speaking with men who are used to talking to liars We, by our very nature, fallen sinful nature, are bent towards lying. And we're used to hearing someone make a promise to us and we want to know how serious is their promise. Well, how much do they add on to it? That's how we act. And so when God gave His promise to Abraham, I promise on myself because you can get no greater. It makes me ask this question then, and I've already alluded to it. If we're not to swear by heaven or earth, then what can we swear by? We swear by God Himself. Just like God did. If you're going to take an oath, you take it upon the name of God. That's a big deal. And therefore I say don't do it lightly, don't do it quickly. Think long and deep before you make an oath. And I think that perhaps the greatest illustration of this is when a man and a woman stand in a wedding ceremony and they make a promise. I vow before God and these witnesses. You see what you've done? You've made a promise before God. Don't take it lightly. There are appropriate times to make a vow. There's appropriate times to give an oath. But be careful. You might remember the third commandment. This is Exodus 20 and verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The Lord will not hold them count, uh, guiltless to take in His name in vain. Do you know what he meant in Exodus 20 and verse 7? He didn't mean, well, don't use God's name as a swear word. That's not where he was headed with this. He was headed to, when you take an oath in my name, follow through with your words. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be honest with your words. So I come back to James chapter 5 and verse 12 again. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. In other words, speak honestly. Speak honestly. The people of Israel 
were called to keep their oaths, but sadly, as time went along, they began to figure out cute little ways that they would, they, they would trick. They would say, okay, I'm, I've made an oath, and my oath is by this, um, but secretly I know there's something more important than this, so my oath on this really doesn't matter. And we'll see it played out later in Matthew 23, uh, but I want you to hear the words of Jesus, and this is Matthew 5. This was our scripture reading this morning, Matthew 5 and verse 34. Jesus said, I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So don't swear by the earth and don't swear by the heaven. The earth is the Lord's, the heavens are the Lord's, it's his throne. And anytime you swear, you should swear by that which is the greatest. Make a promise by that which is the greatest, and that would be God himself. I think a, an example of this, we don't do this. But perhaps if you've heard the phrase, I swear on my grandmother's grave, the thing that the Jewish people were doing was something like, I swear by my grandmother. And in the back of their mind, they knew, I haven't sworn by my grandmother's grave, as though the grave was more important than grandma. You follow this? Jesus is going to break this down in Matthew 23. We'll, we'll be there in a few minutes. But this is the thing that they were doing. They were going, you know what? I'm going to swear by something, but there's something greater. And so in the back of my mind, I already know that I'm not going to keep this promise. Or I, Now I've gotten out from this promise. And you and I do the very same thing. We say we're going to do something, but in the back of our mind, we know there might be something else that will come up that's more important. Let me take just a minute and I'll walk through a couple of practical things for us this morning, some practical ways that we can let our yes be yes and our no be no. Practical ways. First, number one, don't just smile and wave. I think you know our society well enough to know what I mean by this. We'll greet somebody, maybe they're another brother or sister in Christ, maybe they're our neighbor, maybe a co-worker. We'll greet them, we'll smile, We'll wave at them. We'll let them know with our face, everything's fine. But deep down inside, bellhot stop. And we will wait 20 years if we have to. We like that phrase, revenge is a, what's the phrase? Revenge is a dish best served cold. And we'll wait. And when the chance comes, we'll get them back. Maybe not today, maybe not next year, but it'll come. And that's what I mean by don't just smile and wave. You remember the words of Jesus? If your brother has offended you, go to him alone. And talk to him and let him know what's happened. Do you realize within our society and the way that we act, we just smile and wave and the other one has no idea that there's ever been a problem? And when they call upon you for help, you conveniently just let them fall. Because back in 1998, he did. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even remember that he forgot to shake your hand when you came to church. But you've been waiting for your chance to get it. Don't just smile and wave, brothers and sisters. The beauty of Jesus' approach, you go to him alone You've, he's offended you. You go to him alone and you let him know, hey, you've offended me in this way. And, and I'm going to esteem you better than myself. 
I'm not going to say that you did it on purpose. Maybe it was a mistake. And, and, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And, and if he hears you, that's the words, if he hears you, you've gained a brother. Oh, isn't that a much better way to live is by gaining brothers instead of sitting around and waiting? Oh, I've got my little book here and I've been keeping tally. That guy, he's been 17 years ago. And this one, it was six months ago. And this one, he was, but I'm going to get them all back. There's a, such a better way to live. Just live honestly. Speak honestly. Second one, keep your commitments. Keep your commitments. Maybe that's your promises or your time promises or the things that you've said that you were going to do. You said you would be there at 11 o'clock, follow through and be there at 11 o'clock. I want to warn you, friends. I want to warn you. Society is shifting. I've watched our society shift into a way that is more Western in its timekeeping. I'm just going to be honest. PNG time is a thing that's dying. It is dying. And if you want to spend the rest of your life blaming it on PNG time, don't blame it on PNG time. Blame it on me time. Because you may say, I'm him name PNG. PNG, you know, make it one plus something that you call it name and nothing, nothing. Be nice to PNG. If you said you're going to be there at 11 o'clock, take enough time, to the, uh, time and forethought to go, you know what, it takes me 12 minutes to get from here to there. I should probably give 15 minutes. Because there might be such a thing as traffic. I had personal experience. We're just being practical right now. I was having coffee with a brother in Christ. I'm not going to call his name because I don't want to shame anybody. I was having coffee with a brother in Christ, and the two of us are sitting there in the coffee shop drinking coffee, and we're talking. We're about maybe 15 minutes into our conversation, and things are really going well. All of a sudden, his phone rang, and he took the phone call. He said, Pastor, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. You take the phone call. He took the phone call, and it was somebody who was waiting on him. It turns out he had double booked an appointment. He was supposed to be having coffee with me, and he was supposed to be meeting with this other guy, and he had forgotten about the other guy. So be it. But what came out of his mouth next was not honest. You can probably guess what. Hey, traffic, and I'm just, this is what he said. He's sitting right across from the pastor. <laughs> traffic friend, I'm stuck in traffic. I should be there in about, just give me another five minutes. I'll be there. I'm just right around the corner. Just give me time. And I'm sitting there going. <laughs> he hung up his phone put the phone back in his pocket. And, oh yeah, pastor, where were we? Right back to coffee. <laughs> I said, you just told him, you better get, go, don't worry about me. Speak honest, brothers and sisters. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so if you say that you can do something, then follow through with it. And as soon as you see that, I'm just being, this is real practical this morning, okay? You're not going to find this in the book of Job, all right? This is just real practical. If you find out that you can't keep your promises, be upright and forthright and let the person know as soon as you figure it out. I'm not going to be able to make it because something came up. I'm sorry. And I promise you he's going to think better of you if you let him know ahead of time so that he can reschedule his day. I wish I kept track over the last six months the number of times that I have planned out an entire day because of something that I had planned with someone, and then at the last second, that person doesn't show up. Do you realize it ruins an entire calendar when you don't keep your commitments to somebody else? Just keep your commitments. Third, 
Follow through on the promise to pray. Follow through on your promise to pray. Oh, friends, somebody asks you, would you pray for me? Write it down. If you've got a really bad memory, and I do, I've got a terrible memory, perhaps it means that you need to stop and pray with them right then. They say, can you pray with me about... If you stop and pray with them right now, maybe they send you a message. You say, I'm going to... Would you pray for me? You send back the message, yes, I'll pray for you. Well, stop what you're doing and pray for them. Follow through with these promises. Uh, Number four, live with transparency, but respect confidentiality. Live with transparency, but respect confidentiality. Here's what I mean by that. I've done counseling with many couples where one will say of the other one, I don't have a clue what's on his phone. As I sit and hear that, I've got a pretty good guess what's on his phone and why he doesn't want you to have it. I've been through enough of these sessions to to have a pretty good idea of what's going on here. Live with transparency. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if I'm telling my wife that I love her and she's the only one for me, I'm going to be living with transparency so that my yes is yes and my no is no. Do you follow me, friend? And if I'm blocking her off from areas of my life, suddenly my yes is not yes. And yet, somehow, in my pride, I expect her. Do you follow me? I expect her to just trust me. That's pride. But instead, my yes is yes and my no is no. There's no need for me to hide anything, honey. I have a transparency here. And yet, there are times when someone brings something in confidence that you need to be careful. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If someone comes and they say, hey, could you pray with me about this situation? And they want that kept in confidence. When you say yes, I'm going to hold that confidence. Hold the confidence. Don't turn around and go gossip and slander. Let your words be truthful. Don't swear by heaven and earth. Or secondly, don't, uh, secondly, speak honestly. And third, stay clear of condemnation. So look at verse 12 again with me. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. So speak honestly. Don't be a fraud. And this seems to me like the most important thing that James has had to say because he said, above all things. And he throws this last phrase in at the end, lest you fall into condemnation. The same word that's used here at the end of verse 12, condemnation, is the same word that's translated other places in the scriptures as hypocrite. And I think it's easy to see that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, because if you're not that way, it's hypocritical. I'm saying this, but doing that. I'm saying this, but I mean that. He says, don't do that because you fall into hypocrisy. And I love the fact that he uses the word condemnation. 
Because as I look at the book of James overall, I see this overarching theme. Examine your faith. Ready? Now follow the line of thinking here. If I'm going to be a true believer, I'm going to one day escape the condemnation of God. But if I'm not a true believer, it will be evident in the fact that I'm living hypocritically and I'm saying one thing, but I'm meaning another and I'm saying another thing and I'm lying about it. I'm a hypocrite. Condemnation will fall upon me for I'm not a true believer. Lest you fall into condemnation. And so I say with James, watch your speech. Be honest in your speech. And I think the word condemnation here ties neatly back to the word that was used in verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. And who are you going to be condemned by? The end of verse 11. The judge standeth before the door. What a picture. As God Almighty, the judge of the universe, is about to open the doors and step into His throne room, whereby He will sit at judgment. And you and I found to be liars wait a second the gospel should be transforming your life your yes should be yes your no should be no i don't want to fall into condemnation as the judge walks through i asked you at the beginning of our time together to hold a place in matthew 23 so if you don't mind come over to matthew 23 and i want to finish our time in the words of the lord jesus i find it interesting that James has repeated Jesus multiple times in his epistle. And today again, he repeated the words of Jesus. We might as well have just added the phrase, as Jesus said, James 5, 12. Above all, as Jesus said. And James has repeated the words of the Lord Jesus. Here's Matthew 23. This is just a few days before the crucifixion and the Pharisees absolutely hate the Lord Jesus at this point. They are looking for ways to catch Him. They try to trick Him in His words over and over. They ask Him questions, and He, how do you outsmart the One who created the universe? And here the Lord Jesus speaks to them in condemnation. Here's Matthew 23 and verse 16. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it's nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. You fools and blind. For whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Do you think somehow that the gold was more important than the temple? He's like, Pharisees, y'all are half sense the way you're talking. You say, if I swear by the temple, it's a nothing, but if I swear by the gold of the temple, well, now that one's an important swear. He goes, that doesn't even make sense because the gold became special because it was a part of the temple. The temple is more important. I come back to the grandmother or the grandmother's grave. The grave is a nothing without grandmother. Same with the temple. The gold is a nothing. You can find gold anywhere. Gold is a nothing, but the gold of the temple is important because of the temple, not because of the gold. Now, he's going to go an extra level on it, but hang on. Verse 18. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it's nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon the altar, he is guilty. You fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gift 
or the altar that sanctifies the gift. They were completely backwards. Again, if I swear by the altar, then that's nothing. But if I swear by the gift on the altar, oh boy, that's a big one. And Jesus goes, you can find a lamb anywhere. It's the altar that makes the lamb special. He goes, you guys don't even think straight. Your logic is illogical. Verse 20, Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. Now we went next level. It's not about the gold. It's not about the walls. It's not about the curtain. It's not about the adornments. It's not about the furniture. It's not about the altar. It's not about the sacrifice that's on the altar. It's about the God who dwells in the temple. It's about His character. You see, God is the one who gives value. So verse 22, He that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God, and him that sitteth thereon. Don't you think that you'll get around it by making a half-hearted promise, by swearing by heaven, the heaven that is directly tied to the God who sits on the throne. You see, it isn't about the things that God makes, it's about the God who makes the things. So you and I as believers, when we speak, we are a reflection of the character of the God who saved our souls. So as believers, let our speech be a reflection of the character of God and an evidence that the gospel has transformed our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God, the admonition that our speech is a reflection of you. This world does not see you in the flesh. This world may not read the Word of God, but this world pays attention to what we say. And when we, with our words, lie to one another, to the unbelievers, God, we tear down the ability to speak the gospel into their lives. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that we would let our yes be yes and our no be no. And Lord, if this is an issue for us, I pray that we would remove our pride, remove our greed, remove our desire to make ourselves look good. And instead, Lord, I pray that we would be honest. Perhaps that honesty is saying, I need help. But God, I pray that we would be honest with our speech above all. For it's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen.